Hey y'all, you're listening to the Faith Church Sermon Podcast. We are so excited that you're connecting with us today. It is our desire for you to grow as a result of the resources we provide here. We pray that this blesses you today as you seek to know Him more. Great to be with you all today. Today we're going to look at a letter written that's very familiar, words from a letter that you've heard at every wedding you've ever been to, 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. And I know, like before you check out, you're like, oh gosh, he's gonna tell us we have to be loving. Before you check out, let me ask you a couple questions that are, have everything to do with this passage of scripture. Is there any Eagles fans out there? Okay, there's some Eagles fans. How about any Steeler fans out there? Any Giant fans? Okay, Giants, all right. Anybody who hate the NFL, go loud and proud right now online. Chat me up. You hate the NFL, I get it. How about, is there anybody out there right now that's older than 80? Any, oh, I see you, older than 80. Any boomers? Any from the boomer generation here, right? Any Gen Xers, Gen Y, millennials? Anyone, anyone? How about anyone here that's descended from Asia? Anybody descended from Africa that's here? Anyone? Anybody descended from South America? Any Europeans here? Is there anybody that's been following Christ for decades? Raise your hand. Any of you new believers? You just started walking with Jesus? Any of you still skeptical and you're not even sure if you believe? Are there any Democrats in the house? Any Republicans in the house? Any people that hate Democrats and Republicans? Right? And everything in between. You know what's incredible is sitting side by side in this room, and maybe this is true about your online experience right now as well. Sitting side by side are Giants fans and Democrats and Republicans and people from Africa and Asia, people that have been following Jesus for years, and people are like, I'm not sure who this Jesus guy even is. And everybody's sitting side by side here today. Now we are the body of Christ and each one of us is a part of it. This is the family of God, that there are diverse people from diverse backgrounds, diverse ethnicities, diverse experiences, diverse even belief structures that come together and they're trying to figure out how to follow Jesus together. And this diversity is one at the same time beautiful and delicate. That this family of God from all kinds of backgrounds, is a beautiful thing, but it's incredibly delicate. And here's what I mean by that, maybe online, but here on campus, you know I could start a fight right now by one thing I say or do. If I just step a little bit to the left or the little bit to the right, if I just say one little thing this direction or one little, there's gonna be a fight that breaks out right here and maybe at home with you online, right? Like if I don't have my ducks in a row, if I'm not careful, Among the body of Christ, with this level of diversity that's here, a fight could break out if someone has a bad day or says a bad thing or does something that's just a little bit whack. And this diversity in the family of God is so beautiful and so delicate that the Bible instructs us how to live and how to preserve the unity of the body of Christ with all its diversity. And so Paul writes this letter, the book of 1 Corinthians, it's a letter written to the church in Corinth that is incredibly diverse, and he's trying to encourage them in their diversity to stay unified. 
So he writes these things to them and by extension to us to teach us how to stay unified as a diverse family of God. So if you have your Bibles, turn them on or open them up. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the love chapter, which isn't about weddings, though it's appropriate to couples and individuals and to everyone. So what's cool to think about is that Paul, before he gets to 1 Corinthians 13, in 1 Corinthians 12, he's talking about unity and diversity. He's talking about how the family of God, the body of Christ, is really different talking about unity and diversity, and before he starts talking about love, he makes this transition phase from uh, chapter 12 into chapter 13. He makes a statement. He says, and now I will show you the most excellent way. The Apostle Paul wants us to know a most excellent way to live as followers of Jesus Christ who are diverse. Steelers fans, Eagles fan, Giants fan, maybe some Packer fan, whatever, how we can actually live side by side is a most excellent way to live. He wants to teach us how to do that. That's what the purpose of 1 Corinthians 13 is. So would you pray with me? Father, in the sound of my voice today, there are people coming from all different backgrounds, all different opinions, all different political persuasions, all different ethnicities, different stories, backgrounds, and all of us you made us, you know us, you know our stories and our journeys, you know our unique personalities, you know the pain that we've been through, you know what's made us into the people we are today, you know how we think and how we live, the things that bring us hope and the things that bring us fear. And among this diverse family called the Church of Jesus Christ, there's incredible opportunity and incredible beauty, incredible differences, and a delicate balance of not being divided. And so today, would you use the teaching of your word with the Spirit's power to guide us into how we can be Eagles fans and Giants fans all in the same family? And would you use what we learned today to help us have peaceful thanksgiving that when family and friends, we gather together to give thanks to you this week, that we would not be divided, but we'd seek the most excellent way, which is a way of love. Teach us that tonight, in Jesus' name, amen. So God, if you didn't know this, is the author of diversity. Diversity is God's idea. He decided in his infinite wisdom to create a beautifully diverse world with all the intricacies, beauties, delicacies, everything that's different, unique, beautiful. Diversity is God's idea. So whatever diversity God celebrates, we as his sons and daughters should also celebrate, which means there are people that have different perspectives, different ethnicities, different backgrounds. We're different. We come from different generations. We're a diverse group of people. When a diverse group of people hear that they're sinful and they're lost without Jesus, and a diverse group of people put their faith in Jesus Christ, a diverse group of people then are adopted into the family of God and the family of God and the kingdom of God is made up of people from every type of background and personality, all kinds of different experiences and ethnicities. 
We're adopted into the family of God because the good news of Jesus Christ is not intended for one type or one political party or one personality or one ethnicity. It's the good news that's to spread to everyone everywhere. And when that good news is heard by everyone everywhere, and when people understand they're broken and lost without Jesus, they put their hope in Christ who brings them into this diverse family. We've talked about this before. When you put your hope and trust in Jesus, he puts his spirit inside you. And a part of him putting his spirit inside you is also giving you a spiritual gift or gifts which are used to advance the kingdom of God. And so Paul's actually going to deal with spiritual gifts because like every aspect of followers of Christ, there can be division. In his context, there was division over gifts, spiritual gifts that were given to them by God. So check this out, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1. Paul's going to start talking about spiritual gifts. If I speak in the tongues of men or angels, but do not have love, I'm a resounding gong or a clanging symbol. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I might boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. We all have Different gifts given to us by God to advance the kingdom, just like every other difference among followers of Christ. There was competition competing over. There were people that were getting puffed up, spiritually snobby about their gifts, thinking they're better than other Christians because of the gifts God has given them. And because of gifts given to them, they were divided instead of unified. And so he says, if you speak in the tongues of angels but don't have love, you're like a gong that's clanging, a cymbal. If you have amazing gifts, spiritual gifts or any gifts, and you use them without love, he says, you're just noise. You're just confusion. You're just irritating. Verse two, you could have the gift of prophecy or knowledge or faith, such strong faith that you could move mountains with your faith. But he says, if you're not using it in a loving way, strong statement, he says, you are nothing. You help the poor. You endure difficulty for the sake of Christ, but you do it in an unloving way? He says you gain nothing. All examples, he's saying as a Christian, a Christian life without love is useless and divisive. If I have these gifts and these abilities, but I'm not loving in how I exercise them, how I do things is just as important as what I do. That everything I do, if it's not accomplished in love, he's saying it's all useless. It's all meaningless. In fact, it's beyond useless and meaningless. It's divisive. It's not only not contributing to making things good, it's pulling things apart in the family of God. It's divisive. Let's make this real. You have strong opinions, don't you? You have strong takes about this or that. You're hanging out with some Christians and you express your strong opinions about what you think or about what you feel and you do it in an unloving way. Paul says that's useless. And more than useless, it's divisive. It doesn't matter if what you think is true. It doesn't matter if you have all the facts right. It doesn't matter the level of truth. If what you do 
is done without love, he says, useless. And it's dividing. It's causing more problems, not less problems. It's divisive, pulling apart. You could have the greatest musical abilities in the world. You could have the greatest administrative abilities. You could have the greatest teaching abilities. You could have the greatest financial abilities. You could have all these incredible abilities, but if you use them without love, he says, useless. It has no value to the kingdom of God. And it's not only not helping, it's hurting. You give a lot of money away. You sacrifice your money and your time. You're an incredibly generous person, but you do it without love. He says it's useless, purposeless. It's doing harm to the kingdom. Your generosity is harming the kingdom of God. You love to pray, but you're a mean, nasty son of a gun outside your prayers. Your prayers are meaningless. They're useless without love. He says this is what's going to preserve the body of Christ is when we exercise our gifts in a loving way, it's love that makes our gifts useful. Without love, useless, meaningless. Now, I think most of us know that and we'd all agree. We go, of course, as Christ followers, we should be loving. And there's this little phrase that's worked its way into our culture and this little phrase that's worked its way into the church of Jesus Christ that goes something like this, love is love. Have you heard that? Love is love. Paul, Paul would disagree with you. See, Paul would say, you know, when I talk about gifts, and I talk about division and unity in the body of Christ, that we are to use our gifts in a loving way. I'm anticipating when he writes this, he anticipates that us as different Christians, we're gonna have different opinions about love. And so he slows down in this moment and goes, now I've told you, you need to love people when you use your gifts. Now, just in case you're not sure what that means, let me slow down and do a slow walk and teach you what love is. And that's 1 Corinthians 13, four. He says, love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking. Love is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. This is the most comprehensive definition of love in the entire Bible. Just in case we would disagree, Paul goes, let me just make it clear what I mean when I say do everything in love or you're useless and divisive. He says, Here's, here it goes, verse four, love is patient, love is kind. That means when everything inside you is growing irritable, when you're frustrated at someone at home or at work or in traffic, love is not irritated, it's patient and it's kind. Love doesn't envy someone else's situation or success. Love doesn't put oneself on a pedestal. It doesn't put my thoughts as superior to the, your thoughts. My abilities are better than your abilities. I'm superior to you and you're less than me. Love does not boast. It's not proud or dishonorable. It doesn't discredit someone because they think or act different than you. It doesn't discredit someone because they're difficult. Love seeks to put the other person's needs above my own and serve someone else and not me. Love is not easily angered. That doesn't mean that love never gets angry, but you're not short-fused. You're not irritable. You're not on edge. You're not dramatic. You're not touchy. 
Love doesn't keep a record of wrongs. There are no scorecards in Christianity. No scorecards. Ways you've hurt me or failed me and I keep scores like debts and until those debts are repaid, we're not good. That's not Christianity. That's not love. Love keeps no record of wrongs. It never exacts revenge over mistakes made in the present or in the past. Love does not delight in evil but rejoices in the truth. That doesn't mean that love is a doormat. Love is grace and it's truth because it's the truth that will set us free. It is standing up for what is right. It's not enabling sin or evil. That's not loving. Love always seeks to protect others. Love covers a multitude of sins. Love causes me to stand between someone being harmed and absorbing whatever I have to take to ensure that you don't get hurt or harmed. Love always trusts, it always hopes, it always perseveres. Love refuses to accept the failure or the shortcoming of someone as their final destination, but instead sees that the love of God has changed me and God has been so patient and loving with me that I, with perseverance and love, extend that grace to other people so that when I watch you do something stupid and you watch me do something stupid, we go, God loves him, God loves her, and he's not done yet with her or with him. It perseveres, it hopes. God is love, and he defines love. And unity and diversity is preserved when we live by God's definition of love, not ours. You see, God is love, he defines love. So that phrase, love is love, is categorically false. Love is God, and he defines love. And when I define love and you define love, we harm ourselves and we harm others. But when we align our hearts with God's heart, that's when we bring unity, and that's when we see healing and hope in the hearts of people. Redefining love brings disunity and harm into this world. So we have important questions to ask ourselves as followers of Christ. Am I aligning my heart with God's definition of love or someone else's? Is my definition of love the love that God honors or is I just go with whatever the culture says or whatever I feel? When I follow God's definition of love, it's a truth that sets me free and helps me and gives me hope and aligns us as a family on the things that matter most in a very super practical way. If you're experiencing disunity or drama in your life, maybe it's you're causing it or someone else is causing it, go to 1 Corinthians 13 and look at it. Look at the love of God and say, God, align my heart to your heart. It will start to extinguish drama in your life and the life of the people around you if you align your heart of love with God's heart of love, and his spirit helps you to do that. And also in a super practical way, if you're not sure what this looks like, if you're like 1 Corinthians 13, okay, I'm gonna ask the spirit of God to help me to be loving, but I'm not sure what that looks like, study Jesus in the gospel. Study Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and look at Jesus because Jesus is patient, Jesus is kind. Jesus does not envy, he does not boast, he is not proud, he does not dishonor others. Jesus is not self-seeking, he's not easily angered. Jesus keeps no record of wrongs. He does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Jesus always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Jesus loves you. And so when you stare at his life and say, Holy Spirit, make me more like Jesus, 
you will grow more loving and it will unite you with other followers of Christ and make a difference in this world. Paul continues in verse 8, 1 Corinthians 13, 8. He starts to talk about maturity in the family of God. He says, love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what in part is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. When you were adopted into the family of God, you started as a baby. Not you were a baby when you came in, but at whatever point you put your trust in Jesus Christ, you're a baby Christian. And when that happens, we all rejoice like we love new babies. Whatever age, we love it. But just like our own maturity in physical realm moves from one thing to another, right? So when you're little, you poop in your pants, right? You remember that? And you remember you had to learn a lot of things. Remember that? You learned a lot of things. And then you grew into adolescence and you were in pubertary, right? And it was a sort of form of hell as you grow through adolescence. And then you move into young adult life and into maturity, right? And so there's this progression that happens in our human development. And God intends that progression to also happen spiritually. That we celebrate baby Christians. It's wonderful that people are coming to know Christ at whatever age, putting their trust in him and learning as a follower of Christ by falling and stumbling and making mistakes. And then to go into the years of middle school and high school Christianity, imagine what that's like, where you're trying to figure yourself out and use your gifts and grow and learn. And then you're to mature into adulthood. There's this maturing process that's intended by God for you and me as sons and daughters. And that at each stage of development, love remains our standard because love will never fail. Other things will come and go. Prophecies will come and go, he says. Tongues will come and go. Knowledge will come and go. But love will be your guide at each step, step of your Christian development. So I love verse 11. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. That there is a great place for childhood Christianity in the family of God. And we should be the kind of place that celebrate children that are coming and growing, not only in age, but in their faith. But there also comes a point in time where you've, set, you've done the same thing over and over, and you've been following Christ for a decade or 14 years or 30 years, and you're still acting like a child. Something's wrong. Your, your growth is stunted. You were not intended to stay a middle school Christian, though I love you if you're in middle school right now, and I'm glad you're a Christian. But you're not intended to stay in that developmental stage. It would be like spending your entire life in middle school, and yet that's how some of us are living as followers of Christ. Something is wrong with that picture. You're supposed to put childish ways behind you. God intends you to grow into a man of God, into a woman of God which means you grow and mature and you don't keep going back to childish elementary ways. This is God's design. So if you're a new believer, keep growing. The Holy Spirit will help you. And if you've been following Jesus for a lot of years, keep growing. The Spirit of God will help you. And if you've been following Jesus for decades, keep growing. The Spirit of God will help you. You are not intended to stay put. 
And certainly that growth should include knowing more about God, learning his word, reading his truth, understanding who his character is, obeying him. That's all a normal part of it. But for some of us that have been following Jesus for a lot of years, and some of us get stuck and stunted in our growth, it's hard to keep growing, right? We can confess that. We can kind of say, man, I've been following Jesus for a long time, but I feel like I'm stuck in some pattern or stuck at some age bracket or stuck in some development. It's okay to say that, but it's, okay. it's not okay to stay there and be stuck there. And so one of the things we do around here is part of wanting to challenge you to continue to grow wherever you are. So we're coming up on Christmas, and we created this little devotional, 24 days for you to grow during Christmas, because even as we follow Jesus and come to Christmas, it's so easy wherever you are in your development to be like, oh, Jesus was born, the Virgin Mary, like, right? Like, so boring. How do you keep being challenged? So grab one of these things on your way out if you want to grow through Christmas season, or you can download a copy if you're online with us on our app or on the website. We'd love to challenge you to keep growing. Part of being a follower of Jesus Christ is to bring fresh things into your life to keep growing, and that also includes using your gifts and talents because love will never fail. And so I want to put this out there for you. A commitment to grow more loving is what defines Christian maturity. Among our church, among Christianity in America today, among international Christianity, there's all kinds of things we could put in as the litmus test of how to know someone's mature as a son or daughter. The litmus test of the Bible is, are you more loving today than you were yesterday? No matter how long you've been in Jesus following him, are you more loving or less loving? You see, there's people out there in our church and in our world that know a heck of a lot about the Bible, and they could teach you every doctrine. They are the most unloving, unkind people anywhere. They are in diapers, but they're acting like adults. They know a lot of doctrine, but they're babies, childish. The litmus test of your faith is how much you love. By the standard of God in 1 Corinthians 13, how much do I look like Jesus? Which is 1 Corinthians 13. That's the standard. So are you growing more loving or are you stuck in a developmental stage where you're not growing more loving? You're growing harsher, unkind, impatient, irrational? Really? Something's wrong. Go to the doctor, to Jesus, and say, I want to grow more loving and be like you, Jesus. Don't get stuck. Love is the only thing that will last. Verse 12, for now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we will see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I'm fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Paul's saying right now, We don't see everything. We don't understand everything. It's not clear. We walk by faith and not by sight, right? Faith is being sure of what you hope for and certain of what you do not see. So we we don't see everything clearly. But there's a day coming when the children of God will finish the race, when you and me will graduate, when we will die, when we take a dirt nap. We will see Jesus face to face, and then we will be complete, 
right? And then it'll be finished and our faith will become sight. And the Bible teaches us that when we see Jesus, we will be fully like him. First John three, dear friends, now we're children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known. But when we know when, when Christ appears, we shall be like him for we will see him as he is. There's going to be a day you graduate. There's gonna be a day you graduate and that's nothing to be afraid of. That's something to rejoice over. That there will be a day that when we see him face to face, all the ways that we see things unclearly, all the hurts and the hangups from our past, all the ways that we're prejudiced and racist and sexist and all the ways that we divide over things that don't matter, all that will be removed. We'll see Jesus as he is and we will be like him and we will love forever because we won't need faith. We'll see him with our own eyes and we won't need hope because he'll make all things new. Love is what will remain and unite the diverse family of God forever. And that's why he says, but the greatest of these is love because we will love God with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind. And we will love our neighbors as ourselves perfectly when we see him face to face. And so what Paul's doing in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is he's giving us a peek into the party that's going to happen forever. And he's saying that party that's going to happen forever among a diverse group of people, that party starts now in the family of God. That party starts now. Now we are the body of Christ and each one of us is a part of it. That a Christian lifestyle without love is useless and divisive. That unity and diversity is preserved when we live by God's definition of love, not our definition of love. And we ask the Spirit of Almighty God to bear the fruit of love in us as we stare at Jesus and stare at the Bible and grow more loving as we change and we mature. So if you're a follower of Christ today and you just start following him, grow in love. If you've been following for weeks and months and years, grow in love. If you've been following for decades, grow in love. This is the eternal family of God where Eagles fans and Steelers fans and Democrats and Republicans and old and young from every different color and background are side by side loving each other. It's why Jesus ends before he leaves this earth. He says to his disciples, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Jesus' disciples were diverse. They were different. And he's saying, here's a new command I give you. This is how the world will know. And so I throw this up on the screen. I want you to read it with me because this is what the heart of the family of God is. Read this with me. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Boy, Giants fans and Eagles fans are friends at Faith Church. Democrats and Republicans respect each other at Faith Church. Young and old, rich and poor, black, white, brown, brothers and sisters in Christ at Faith Church, and they put their differences aside and they love and serve one another by this, they will know that Jesus is real. By this love, the love that he defines in 1 Corinthians 13, which is not a love I can do on my own, by this, they will know that Jesus is real and he can rescue everyone from sin and bring a diverse family together. We will love one, man, there's some people in heaven I'm not gonna like, but I'm gonna love. And so I wanna start that now. 
There's some people in this room I don't like, but I love you because of Christ, and you don't like me, I know. Giants, Yankees, Jersey, like I know you don't like me either, but I hope you love me because it brings diversity together in a way that honors God. This is the family of God. This is what it looks like to start the party now, to love one another. So wherever you are in your journey, can I encourage you, grow in love. Not the definition that's just out there, the definition the Bible holds up as the truth, looking at the example of Christ, and the Spirit of Christ will give you that ability to love your neighbor as yourself until we graduate. Would you pray with me? God, it's hard to be diverse. It would be easier to be a part of a family that everybody was the same. In some ways, it would make Thanksgiving easier and it make church family easier. But that's not your design for family and for kingdom. Your design is to take all our differences and make something beautiful, to rub off the edges of our differences, but to leave the differences and allow us to exist together, loving one another, being patient with one another not keeping record of wrongs, becoming more like Jesus. God, before we finish this moment together, can we say we're sorry? Lord, we confess to you we have not been loving in so many different ways. We confess to you that we've not been kind confess to you that we're easily angered. We confess to you that we're touchy, dramatic, irritable. We confess to you that we're not patient and long-suffering. We confess to you that we give up on people. When you never give up on us, we give up on others. We're sorry for that. We confess to you that we keep record of wrongs. We hold grudges. We want people to pay for the hurts they've caused or the problems they've caused. We confess to you that we haven't loved you with our whole heart, mind, and strength, and we have not loved our neighbor as ourselves because of things we've done or things we've left undone. We forgive us for being racist, sexist, xenophobic, confess to you. We need your help to be loving. Would your Holy Spirit grow in us the love, mature in us the love of Christ, mature in us the love that you command, that we might be the diverse family of God side by side with people who are different. Only you can do this in us. We trust you to do what we can't do. Make us more loving as a family, I pray. Through Christ's name, amen.